Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. The hotline is brought to you by Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. The first call, the only call. Brendan Batchelor is going to join us momentarily. It is a Canucks game day. We're all sitting here waiting for uh, for Elias Patterson news and updates and, and further information, but uh, the Canucks have a game to play tonight. It's hard to focus. This is a, a potentially massive, massive deal here if this deal gets well, done. I actually was thinking about that this during the Penguins game, which was that the on-ice drama was so disappointing that night, and we'll, we'll bring Batch in, but the, the on-ice pr- result, the, the the energy in the game was kind of low. Like mm-hmm. It felt like a mm-hmm. low-energy game. And yet, on Canucks Twitter, in terms of the speculation, like things had gotten so spicy, and I was just thinking to myself, and actually, me and Batch texted about it post-game as, as we bring him on, um, and I know you've got a read to do, so I'll kick it back to you. But I was just texting him. No, I was still, like, "We're still trying to get on the line anyway, so okay, don't worry. just rag the pockets." Perfect. I, I texted him and I was just like, "How good do we have it, Batch?" Because there was so much hilarity. I gotta say, honestly, this might be the week I've enjoyed most doing the show. Yeah, it's been so fun. Jason Bruff deleted t- tweets, like everything, just so good. It was so funny this week. The poll question from Donnie and Dolly. The, the crossover the, yesterday the, was the, great. The, Dolly Wall lob- lobbing slanderous burner accusations. <laughs> yeah, Incredible I'm, having, stuff. I'm having a blast. And if, if it ends with like a presser announcing a deal tomorrow, that's the cat. That's the perfect cherry on top to a hilarious and entertaining and fun week. Feels like uh, feels like a bit of an accelerated timeline that Jamie. I know. I'm just throwing it. I, like, I wouldn't hold my breath if I were you. I won't. No, I mean it's this is a, as I said before, like this is a really tricky one to navigate because typically you see that the tweet from Frank Saravalli last night, and they're very careful. Like insiders are really smart; they're careful about how they word things. So he's not saying a deal is done, but you see that tweet, and you can just kind of mentally compute it to, "Oh, this is a hundred percent going to get done," right? Like that's almost always what it means. I'm sure maybe there's a prominent example where you get a report like that and it doesn't happen, but typically you just kind of you jump to the next step. You're like, okay, it's going to get done. My only hesitation is that, as we talked about, like this has just unfolded in a really strange way. It has not unfolded in kind of your, you know, according to your normal fact pattern for a star pending restricted free agent up to, as you said, like typically the trade deadline is not really a big pressure point for a player like this, right? Like the, the, I'm not going to talk, but his agent saying, well, maybe he will talk to, you know, reports of, Hey, there's a lot of uh, positive momentum on it. November. Then that completely dies down and no, they're not talking at all. It's just been, it's been so atypical. As you said, there's been such a, a kind of void of information from Pedersen himself, which is totally fair. That's his prerogative that I, I am not ready to, going 100% to this is going to get done for sure yet, right? But just because who knows if there's more curveballs uh, that we're going to see here. The more honest you've been about your lack of understanding and and lack of certainty around this situation, the better your analysis. Just like as a general rule, I see no reason to abandon that stance now. Still can't get the bad batch? <laughs> okay. No, we got batch on the line. 
Never mind. Uh, all right. Anyways. Let's give a rose to I'll, our friend, I'll tell, The Bachelor. I'll tell you more about that uh, in the break, Trance. But uh, anyways, now we go to the Dispatch Plumbing and Heating and Air Conditioning Hotline, uh, where we are joined by Brendan Bachelor. Uh, Batch, how's it going, man? Uh, I'm good. What happened there? Yeah, please. I, 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 asked, I feel like I don't, I don't know if I, can, the if I want to like burn you here, but I asked if a certain player was in attendance at Morning Skate. I asked uh, our producer, Elon, to, to ask you, and... You said I didn't look at the ice, according to Elon. <laughs> well, no. What I said was I took a cursory glance at the ice All when right. I arrived. And there were was... five skaters and two goalies. Okay, so I so did no. not pay close attention to which five players and uh, obviously the two goalies. You can, yes. by process of elimination, figure out who they were. But So I cannot. I don't think Pedersen was on the ice this morning, but I cannot 100% I was gonna, sorry, confidently process, say that he wasn't. Process of elimination. Who are you eliminating? Uh, the practice goalie, Roman Bazra. Okay. Because <laughs> he was there yesterday, right? Got it, got it. Okay. Because I was going to say, I was going to ask you if Pedersen looked uh, looked today like somebody about to sign a $100 million contract. But we'll, we'll have to wait. We'll <laughs> they, have to wait until the game tonight to see if he looks like they that. They set a table up at the optional skate mid-ice. Get his autograph. <laughs> get it done. Get it done. <laughs> um, but, okay, look, we... You're, you're operating with the same information as us on Pedersen, so we won't dwell on that uh, too much. Although, I guess, you know, what was your reaction to what Rick Tockett had to say in his commentary about Elias Pedersen's game and, you know, the whole discussion around Pedersen uh, after practice yesterday? Oh, I think, you know, in the, the short term or the recent past, shall we say, Tockett's analysis is correct. Pedersen hasn't been at his best in recent weeks, neither has the team. Um, he does need to drive play more. I think that's a, a fair criticism of, of the way he's been playing lately. But I think too often uh, in this market, we get hyper-focused on sort of the short term and guy has a bad game or guy has a bad week. And we lose the perspective of the fact that this is a guy that's going to post back-to-back 100-point seasons. And so um, you know, while Pedersen's play has been up and down at times this year, this is still an elite forward that the club would be lucky to sign to an eight-year extension, uh, regardless of what the dollar amount is, in my opinion. So uh, the news that it's trending in that direction is a welcome for this organization. And I know there are always people that are going to put Pedersen under the microscope. And, you know, I heard you guys talking about it earlier. I think, in fact, Drancer, rather than the the heat being off Pedersen once he signs the contract, I think it might get ratcheted up even more because now he's actually making that big dollar amount that you know starts with a twelve per season or or whatever it might be. Like the pressure and and the focus and the scrutiny might be even that much more intense on him. But he is a guy that has delivered throughout his career as a Canuck, and there's no reason to believe that he won't continue to do that going forward, assuming he does sign an eight-year extension and stays here long-term. See, my take is that an $87.5 million cap uh, upper limit is going to quickly like get a bunch of other guys, whether it's like Nylander at 11.5. Like, a bunch of guys are going to hit that range, which is going to change the conversation. Like The day he signs it, people will be like, well, that's almost Austin Matthews' money, and that'll change the conversation for a minute. By the time he's actually playing under the contract, I feel like it's already going to be like, hey, that contract's going to age really well. And instead, we're going to start doing this. Hey, Brock Besser, extension eligible on July 1st. What's going on there? And then, and then, Batch, don't it's ignore. It's never ending, right? Yeah, don't ignore this one. Don't ignore Quinn Hughes. Does he want to play with his brothers? Thatcher Demko next year. 
Is is Shelob's ready to take over the race? <laughs> We're it's the conveyor belt, baby. It never ends. It's Vancouver. Uh, that's that's what you'd expect. But you know that's that's what happens when you know you build a good team and you have good players. You know there are are sometimes tough choices to be made. And in a salary cap world, you can't just throw you know huge money at every single one of them. So. Um, Miller's signed long-term. We're now expecting Pedersen to be signed long-term. And once we move on from that, you're right. There will be focus on other players. I mean, in the immediate short-term, it's going to be okay. Now can they get Heronic done before the deadline so they have true cost certainty on any players they might want to bring in and, and keep around prior to March 8th, um, mm. assuming that they get Pedersen done in the next few days as well. So I understand that there's always going to be focus, but Pedersen in particular, I think because – his play has been up and down at times throughout his career here. And again, I'm not taking anything away from him. I think he's a, a tremendous hockey player that, as I said, they would be lucky and, and, and fortunate to be able to keep for eight more years here in Vancouver. Um, but he did have that stretch a couple of years ago where, you know, his, his game was down to start the year. And um, for whatever reason, he's always been a polarizing player in this market. So I, I don't expect that to change regardless of the, the long-term contract commitment or not. Uh, Batch, a little bit of a shakeup on the blue line yesterday. What did you make of uh, Quinn Hughes and Phil Pronick potentially being split up? I mean, we'll see if it carries over to the game tonight, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think we'll probably see it carry over to the game tonight, at least in some form or right. fashion. Um, but all of that said, Quinn Hughes and Philip Aronic are still going to get shifts together on a nightly basis, especially at important moments in the game, whether you're trailing and need a goal or you know, looking to protect a lead, that pairing has been so good for you this year that, you know, you're, you're still going to, going to go to it situationally regardless of what it looks like the rest of the way just because you're not going to play Noah Juleson the same amount of minutes that you're going to play Quinn Hughes. Like, we, we know that. That's, you know, something that we've seen throughout the year. Uh, but what I do think it, it shows is that they are trying to see if Heronic can carry his own pair. If, you know, keeping them apart can help spread things out on the back end so that you're not putting all your eggs in the one pairing basket. And let's be perfectly honest with where they're sitting in the standings. This is the time of year to do that. Um, You know, prior to the trade deadline, prior to the real intense stretch run, I know the team hasn't been, you know, playing as well in recent weeks, but if you're shaking things up like you are on the power play, you might as well shake them up a bit at even strength and, and see if something sticks or you find something that, you maybe didn't expect that could be more sustainable uh, going down the stretch and into the playoffs. So I don't have a problem with it. Um, I'm going to be interested to see how Heronic fares, if indeed he does play more of his minutes away from Hughes than with him tonight. And, you know, I do think that's something that is important for this organization, you know, not just in the short term in terms of winning games this year and having as much success as possible, but, since we're talking about signing guys to long-term extensions, guess what? Philip Heronic is one of those guys um, that, that will be looking at ext- an extension here relatively soon. And I think you probably want to know if he's a guy that you need to play with Quinn Hughes in order for him to have the level of success that you want, or whether he can still provide the level of play that he has this year on another parent. Do you by any chance associate this, shift on the defense pairs with how the club fared handling the Penguins forecheck on Tuesday. Yeah, I think that's a part of it. Um, 
And I think at the very least, it's talk it sending a message to the group of defenders that, you know, they're, they're, they've got to pick their game up as well, much like he's spoken about, you know, the, the puck management and the turnovers. Like, that's not all the forwards, or it wasn't just Teddy Bluger on that one really egregious turnover. Like, the, the puck management against the Penguins the other night was not where you'd want it to be throughout the roster. So, um, yeah, I would imagine that that's part of it, saying, look, the way you guys performed the other night wasn't good enough, and we need to get back to being the kind of team that, um, you know, first of all, I, I, we hear coaches always talk about how all the parts of the game are interconnected, and I think, you know, never more so is that was that an example against the, the Penguins the other night where if you don't establish your forecheck, then they can transition the puck the other way more effectively. If your neutral zone play isn't good, then they can, you know, create more off the rush or they can dump pucks in and dictate play with their forecheck. And you're the team on your heels. That's having to go back for pucks all the time. And we hear Rick talk, it talks so much about skating forward and meeting pressure with pressure. And that was not one of those nights for the Canucks blue line. So I would imagine that there is a connection to him tweaking the defensive pairings for the first time in a while based on the way the team has played in recent games and in particular against the Penguins on Tuesday. What are you seeing from Elias Lindholm through 12 games? Yeah, he's been up and down. Like I didn't, I didn't see a lot from him against the Penguins the other night and the offensive production um, has been okay. I think he's got four goals and they've both been in multi-goal games. So uh, he's only got goals in two of his games as a Canuck, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I like the face-off ability, right? He's been very good in the circle. Um, you know, you can appreciate the, the two-way ability he has, the, the penalty-killing ability that he has, um, but it hasn't been consistent enough. It hasn't been to the level that I'm sure the Canucks would have hoped or that the coaching staff would expect from a player like Elias Lindholm. And uh, to a certain extent, you can say, you know, joining a new team, getting his feet under him, all of those things I think are fair. So I'm not going to grade him too harshly on his performance thus far, but especially if they are going to stick with playing Pedersen Miller and Lindholm on different lines down the middle, he at the very least needs to be a very reliable two-way player that could be used in a matchup role. If not more than that, in terms of trying to get some bottom line production out of him as well. And to this point, I, I haven't necessarily seen that to the level that you would have hoped to see it when you acquired him. But I'm, I'm still very cognizant of the fact that there's still lots of time. There's 20-plus games yet left um, for, for him to figure that out. But that said, and this is something that Talkit is starting to emphasize here as well, 20-plus games left is fine, but with every passing game, you're getting closer and closer to the playoffs. And with every passing game, if you don't figure things out, then it becomes more and more concerning. And that's something that applies to the overall team play of late, and it certainly applies to Elias Lindholm and his individual game too. So with the news uh, that Chris Tanev was traded to Dallas last night in mind, you know, that's one potential Canucks trade target off the board. Now, of course, they've already made the Elias Lindholm deal, but we've also heard that they're still, you know, scouring the trade market, looking for other options. What's the one spot on the roster you would prioritize ahead of the March 8th trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a, a situation where I would have, and I think I did say a few weeks ago that I would be looking at defensive depth and um, you know, trying to shore up the blue line so that if you have a couple of injuries, you, you've got some guys that can come in and play NHL minutes for you. And make no mistake about it, I still think defensive depth is important, and I still think it's something that they should address. But with the developments of all those centers playing on different lines, as I alluded to, 
I think you need winger help. I think you need um, guys on the wing that can come and, and help solidify all three of those Pedersen, Miller, and, and Lindholm lines because amazingly, although we've talked about the, the depth of wingers that this organization has had over the last few years, um, they, they don't have enough guys right now that, that can help in a, a top nine role, I guess it's fair to say. And Dakota Joshua coming back sort of changes the math on that a little bit, but I still think I'd like another winger. Um, you know, we're expecting Phil Kessel at some point here, I guess. So, so maybe that's the winger move. Maybe there's another uh, acquisition you can make. Maybe you're, you're looking at Jake Gensel. If, if the stars align and you can figure it out cap wise, um, then, then that would certainly be beneficial. But that's where I'm looking right now is saying, okay, if we're assuming that Lindholm's not going to be a winger or he's not going to bump Pedersen or Miller to the wing, then you need more wing help to try and make sure that you've got some, some good depth in terms of trusting the guys in matchup roles in your top nine forward group. Batch, the winger play in general, um, you know, has been interesting. What, what center, what center do you think needs the most help right now? You know, like, who who do you think could use an upgrade the most sorely, uh, assuming the club, uh, as Talkett said they would, play the same lineup tonight as they used on Tuesday? Probably Patterson, um, because the like Lindholm has Garland, and you know I don't think Tuesday was Garland's best game of the year, but for the most part, Garland has been one of the Canucks' most consistent players this year. We've talked about how you know he's helped drive play on that line with. Bluger and Joshua when they've all been healthy and in the lineup. So, you know, if we're assuming that the, the lineup or at least the, the, the way the lines are deployed looks the same. And I don't know if we should necessarily expect that, although we did see that yesterday at practice talk, it just committed to the same players being in the lineup. So we'll see what mm. happens in warm up and going into the game. Um, but if I'm, I'm looking at, and, and coaches often look at it as duos on lines, right? So I could see, you know, Lindholm, and Garland is a duo. Certainly Miller and Besser are a duo. And I think Pedersen and Hoaglander are on their way to being a duo, potentially. But, you know, much like we were talking about this when Kuzmenko was on that line and struggling, um, you know, Hoaglander and Mikheyev, both of them haven't been the most consistent of the Canucks wingers this year, although I think Hoaglander in particular has come a, a long way in that regard. And I think Mikheyev's game has started to trend in the right direction a little bit of late, but if I'm looking at those three lines, I think it's probably Pedersen that in a perfect world where you are going and getting a Jake Gensel or similar to, to be a top six winger and to help solidify things uh, down the walls. I'm taking that player, whether it's Jake Gensel or someone else, and I'm putting them on Pedersen's line right away. Um, Demko starting again tonight uh, per yeah. talk it. That's five in a row, and I'll have to double-check it, but I believe that's the first time that's happened all season. Um, seems like the club is riding Demko more, uh, even more voraciously uh, as the season goes along. What do you think's behind that overall? Is it related to DeSmith's form of late? I think it might be more related to the team's form of late mm. and the the feeling that with them playing the way that they are, they might need Demko 
right now. Uh, Talkit continues to reiterate that they have a plan and they're going to get DeSmith in there. And he even sort of hinted today that it might be within the next couple of games. But that said, we know that coaches are always tempted to give their team the best chance to win on a night-to-night basis. And this is a club that does not have any back-to-backs, if I'm not mistaken, for the next month. Yeah, Like they're going on this three game road trip after uh, the game tonight, no back-to-backs on the road trip. Then they've got nine straight day, nine straight games at home spread out over the rest of March. They've only got 12 games in the month of March, I believe off the top of my head, which is a much lighter schedule than some of the teams around them. And the fact that they have no back-to-backs means that the, the temptation or the opportunity is there to continue riding Demko because there are no games where you're forced to put DeSmith in essentially because you're playing on consecutive days. Now they're going to need to find games for DeSmith. They cannot continue to ride Demko at the rate that they have, especially when they do have some breathing room atop the standings, albeit not a a huge amount, but um, it's not like they're in, in a must win every night kind of situation. Like some of the teams they've been facing recently are. Um, So I'll, I'll be interested to see how many games DeSmith gets in March in particular, because realistically they don't have to play him in any of them. And there are multiple situations where they've got multiple days between games and talking even sort of talked about the fact that Demko didn't practice yesterday. They had Roman Bazarin out there as the uh, practice goalie. And he just did a, a little bit of work, did Demko with Ian Clark before practice and then went off and didn't participate. So there is the opportunity to get him rest that way as well. But um, you know, I, I think there probably isn't a coincidence that we've seen Demko's numbers start to tick in the wrong direction in recent weeks, too. And, um, you know, we, we know from looking at other situations how detrimental it can be to teams to overplay your goaltender once you get to the playoffs. If a guy's already got uh, a lot of miles on him from the regular season. Uh, so it's going to be fascinating to see how they manage it. But um you know, I would hope anyway that the Smith gets in there sooner rather than later. And I don't know, what do we say? Like three games out of 12 in March? Like, is that what you'd be looking at? Do you need to get in more than that? Um, you know, they do have some tough teams coming to town. Like talk alluded to it today, Vegas, LA, a bunch of times, Colorado, Winnipeg. Like yep. it's not like they've got a bunch of cellar dwellers or, or easy outs, even though the schedule is favorable to them in terms of lack of travel and the way the games are spaced. They're not easy games by any means. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure it's a battle that they're having internally as well, where they want to get Demko some rest, but at the same time, uh, a coach always wants to give his team the best chance to win. And, you know, regardless of how well DeSmith has played at times this year, although I agree, I think his form of late hasn't been as good as it was earlier in the season. Um, coaches always have a tough time sort of fighting that temptation to go with their starter on a night to night basis. And, and we'll see whether Rick Tockett really can um, sort of carve out opportunities for DeSmith to get into the lineup without costing this team points. Batch. Thank you as always, man. We appreciate it. We'll talk soon. This was the most normal hit I've done with you guys <laughs> in March. So I appreciate it. Thanks. Have You're a good welcome one. for that. That is Brendan Batchelor, a play-by-play voice of the Canucks here on sports at six We got to take a break. We will be back. Uh, very excited to chat with our next guest, Daniel G who uh, covers Canucks prospects uh, for elite prospects, EP ringside and the daily hive here uh, in, in Vancouver as well. Great article this week about Vasily pod Colson. So we'll talk to Daniel about pod Colson, the latest on the who continues uh, to turn heads in Sweden as well. That's next here on Canucks talk Sportsnet six fifty. 
Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And uh, we now go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline, where we are joined by our next guest. He is Daniel G, uh, covering Canucks prospects for Elite Prospects and also Daily High. Very pleased to have him on the show for the first time. Daniel, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing really well. And you wrote uh, a really excellent piece uh, for Offside at Daily Hive this week, doing kind of a deep dive into the game of Facility Pod Colson and how it's developed over this year playing in Abbotsford. And, you know, we'll go through it here a little bit, but I just wanted to to start by asking, like, from a scouting perspective, because we could all look at it and say, hey, he needed to rebuild his confidence. But from a scouting perspective, what were the key things that Facility Pod Colson needed to, you know, quote unquote, fix? spending this year at Abbotsford? Well, you know, you mentioned confidence, and uh, he was overthinking pretty much every play at the NHL level. We saw mm. that. It, it's an awful viewing experience. It's awful for the player. But uh, from a scouting perspective, uh, he really needed just to play a more direct game. He needed to simplify. He needed to find a scoring touchdown in Abbotsford. And in terms of finding that scoring touch. Daniel, how, how's he how's he gone about doing so? Like, wh- where's he scoring goals from? What are you seeing in terms of a more instinctive game from him that's sort of manifesting itself in terms of his production? So, essentially, uh, he's showing a lot more pass support habits, like mm-hmm. in terms of finding open areas in the ice, timing his activations into soft areas of the ice, really supporting his puck uh, his pass. Uh, his puck carrier. Uh, on top of that, you know, the Abbotsford is leveraging him uh, on the power play off the right-hand circle, you know, using the power of his shot and, and all that kind of stuff. But overall, you know, the, the biggest thing is the pass support habits. He's taking pucks directly to the net with a power game, uh, leveraging a lot of the hard skills that, uh, you know, he's kind of been known for in the past. Yeah, those hard skills is a is a really good way to put it because I I know one of the struggles for young players can be just kind of finding their identity. What's their role going to be? What's their style of play going to be? How would you characterize the identity of Pod Colson's game right now? Well, his identity is he's a high motor player, which means that he's going to be constantly moving his feet. He's going to be crashing the, on the forecheck, crashing on the boards. He's going to be the first one back on the back check, driving people towards the walls, and then. And then occasionally you're going to get those flashes of brilliance. He's going to label a shot top shelf. He's going to have a really creative playmaking idea and he's going to execute through it. I think like the biggest thing is that maybe we um, overestimated like what he is as a player in general. And, and if he is just uh, a middle six contributor who, you know, plays hard every shift has a defensive uh, profile and can contribute some goals. I think that's uh, pretty good for Pod Colson right now going forward. 
in terms of his overall production profile, you know, given his age, right, given the fact that he's not quite point per game in the American League, um, you you like what you've seen in terms of his progress, but is this guy still a player who we can look at as having like top six upside, or or should we be lowering our expectations at all uh, for what his ceiling is at the NHL level? Yeah, the, the numbers aren't great, to be frank. Like, yeah. this is a player that has legitimate NHL experience. He produced in the KHL, and to go back to the AHL and you know produce at a point six five points per game, it's not ideal. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, digging into his numbers, you see uh, we mentioned before a lot of the a lot of the off puck habits and him getting into uh, tight areas and getting those high danger shots right in the crease. He doesn't convert many of them, and that's that's a big issue. Uh, uh, so he has the sense to get in those positions to support the, the puck carrier, but he's labeling pucks into the crest of goaltenders. He's shooting high. Uh, it's not a bad problem to have. Don't get me wrong. Like, like uh, you want a player to be uh, really intelligent off puck, but he has to find his finishing at some level. Uh, currently shooting at around 9%. And I think his career across all hockey is around 11%. So mm. there could be some upwards regression coming for him. But uh, I think in terms of a pro- uh, his overall projection as a player, I think it's safer to label him more of a middle six contributor. Uh, there is some caveats with that because he does have he does have tools. He is a smart player. He can add to his game over time. Uh, but I think he's more of a guy that's going to provide cheap depth for them down the road mm. when a lot of their you know their depth this year are going to price themselves off the team. Uh- Tell us about his defensive game right now in Abbotsford. Yeah, his defensive game's ridiculous. So a high motor player is going to be uh, a really good pressure pusher. So he's forcing defenders on the blue line to make really poor passes just by kind of sprinting at them at full speed. Uh, where he really contributes, though, is on the back check. Uh, he, so he's not a, a mechanically refined skater, but he just ups his frequency so much that he's able to catch puck carriers and he's just driving a ton of a ton of uh a ton of opposing forwards to the sideboards and just killing rushes in general uh there's an element of sense there too because he's predicting the routes that um that opposing puck carriers are taking and activating into them uh to strip pucks and clamp pucks away it's actually pretty it's really nuanced actually and it's something that i think he can push to the nhl level now he doesn't do a lot of penalty killing. Like I think, like like a shift here or there every like four or five games. But it's something that when you look at his profile, you wonder if that should be like a next step in his development. Is you know making him more utility uh, penalty kill type of type of a player. You know, you mentioned there that the defensive results, the defensive effort, and intelligence is something that should translate to the NHL level. Looking at his game as a whole, what do you see now that will kind of translate day one when he eventually does get back to the NHL? And what are those those key areas of improvement that he's going to have to keep working on to stick at the NHL level? So the way that like the, the whole Canucks organization works is like they, they play a similar system down in Abbotsford. And uh, right away, this is a player that's going to be able to forecheck, dislodge pucks, and play that dump and chase system that Rick Tockett likes to employ. Um, when you're looking at a, you're looking at a player that's essentially going to be winning second chance pucks and creating second chance offense and, and cycle plays. Uh, when he gets to the NHL level, it's going to be it's going to be about him playing direct, like he is at the AHL level, and not overcomplicating plays. Like this is a guy that's shooting 
upwards of 10 to 12 times in some games at the AHL level. He averages around four shots per game, but uh, he, this is a guy that's uh, attempting a lot of shots. Um, it, and, and that's a great thing because when you go back uh, to his NHL tape, this is a guy that was passing pucks right out of the prime scoring opportunities. Mm. Um, so in general, I think, I think when he gets that, I think he can be a contributor right away. He's probably uh, a better option than, uh, you know, removing cap, uh, cap, cap space and all that type of things. He's probably, he probably is a stronger uh, contributor in the bottom six than some of the guys they have right now. But um, when he does reach the NHL, you're going to see a player that's going to be working really hard, essentially, with a few flashes of brilliance here and there. Uh, Daniel, I also wanted to ask you, I mean, I was going to anyway ask you about uh, Jonathan LeCaramacchi in Sweden, and then he goes and, and scores the Michigan, the lacrosse goal, in his game yeah. today. So our, our text block is, is buzzing, asking us to talk about it and mention it. I mean, it's a fantastic skill play. He's been on a heater anyways. Like, w- what makes him such a dangerous scorer when he's clicking like this? Well, the Kiramaki's shot has kind of transcended like the level of the Swedish Hockey League right now. Uh, his release is like it's frankly one of the top in the world, uh, and part of it is that it's just so deceptive. He has very little. He dra- he doesn't really drag the puck back very much, and he just rockets it off the off the stick. Like he's one of those new age players that really leverages the the technology of his stick uh, well. And, uh, and then he adds other stuff to it, like he changes the angle of the shot and has goalies looking over the wrong shoulder. Um, not only that, he can score in different ways. Like he can, he can snipe a puck from distance. He can one-time a puck. He can lacrosse a puck in the net. Like this is a guy that uh, is uber-skilled. Um, and, you know, it's translating, at, at least at the SHL level. He's a, lot, he's a lot more of an inside player now than he was in the past. And part of that, I think, is due to him... Um, just getting healthy and not being sick and having a full off season to train. But uh, overall he looks, you know, he looks like a really dangerous player who potentially down the line could be a replacement for, you know, one of the goal scorers on the team if they leave. Daniel, just want to ask you about Tom Volander. You've watched him closely over the course of this season. Um, Tools are there to head for the defensive game seems to be there. Not a ton of dynamic puck talent, uh, which has sort of shown and, and, and really been something that the Canucks themselves and, and BU coaches have commented on. What are you seeing there? Uh, how would you describe his season on the whole, his progression on the whole? Yeah, it's it's a tough jump going from like the junior 20 national level to the, to the NCAA. Like, uh, you're, you're operating on a different size rank, although, you know, the NCAA is a little wider than the NHL size. Um, this is a guy that's really, really simple in the offensive zone right now, not leveraging his feet enough. Um, uh, one of the, one of the hallmarks of his game, you know, at every level has been his activation and that just really wasn't present at the start of the season. We're starting to see a lot more of that. And I know the player is, um, pretty, he's, he's pretty dedicated to improving the offensive side, but, uh, you also have to, you know, take in context his role on that on that uh, team right now, they have Lane Hudson, who is a dynamic offensive threat, probably one of the best NCAA players this year and in recent years, uh, who kind of eats up a lot of uh, leveraged power play time and leveraged offensive zone time. And uh, even when Will Anders uh, pegged a play with Lane Hudson, he's more of a supporter because Lane Hudson is going to be activating and doing all that type of good stuff. 
Daniel, really appreciate the time. Again, great work on the uh, Pod Coles and Deep Dive and just in general covering Canucks prospects. Thanks for doing this, and uh, hopefully we can chat again soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. That is Daniel G. You can follow him uh, on Twitter at Daniel G Scouting. Read his work at uh, Elite Prospects and also, as I mentioned, the latest uh, on Vasily Podkols and up at the Daily Hive right and, now. And do so. Extremely perceptive analyst. Yeah, lots of great tape in there. Lots yep. of great uh, kind of nitty-gritty uh, technical analysis awesome to have uh, of what these today. guys are doing. So uh, really pleased to bring Daniel G on to the show. And as I said, hopefully we'll uh, we'll do it again sometime soon. Also, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm starting to feel the hype on Lacaramacchi. I got to admit, the, the, some of the goals that he's scoring, it's like, oh boy, <laughs> that is really, really sick. You know, I uh, the Michigan is amazing. The Michigan goal, go find it on Twitter. Highlights on Twitter. The is, mi- what the Michigan says to me more than anything is his confidence is sky high. Well, right? and it should be. He scored yeah. an eighth straight, the, and he, and it was his second goal of the day. And what's cool about it is the pucks rimming. Uh, around the net he's behind the net when he gathers it this is not like guy skates around net and uses momentum it's just like he's at the side of the net and he's like yeah i'll try it yeah i'll try it it's cool but i'll be honest with you the first goal he scored of the day is better it's better it's a sicker goal i mean what was it's not as high now, like- i'm what was the one he scored the first one because i've uh, you know i'm seeing clips and i'm getting them mixed up because there's the one where he i think it was from yesterday where he changes the angle it was on the power play was that yesterday i think that was yesterday and he just and the goal he just has like no chance but it's uh. a chain angle change wrist shot on the power play over the goalie's right shoulder is that is that the one you're thinking of like, yeah as i describe it yeah because that one was just preposterous that's the one that got me excited it was like oh that shot could be a really legitimate weapon. Okay, yeah, for you're him. right. That was yesterday. But Excuse me. My bad. Um, yeah, that is a sick, sick shot. Yeah. Um, anyway, Lakaramaki is now moving pretty quickly into the top ten all time teenage scorers in the SHL. That's a list that you'll that'll also include names like Elias Pettersson, Marcus Nasland, Daniel Sedin, mm-hmm. a who's who of Canucks greats. <laughs> Now, it'll also include names like Emil Benstrom, uh-huh. who we saw play on the power play for the Pittsburgh Penguins following his acquisition for Alex Nylander, which tells you a lot about how Emil Benstrom has developed at the NHL level. And one reason that LeCaramacchi still has more in common with Benstrom than he does with the, the Canucks greats of, of years past is the low assist totals, right? His goal totals are eye-popping, especially for a teenager in that league. That's a, a, a massively rare skill. But the dual threat attacking stuff in his game is still work in progress like that's going to be the area that he's going to need to flesh out to be you know I'm, I'm trying to like think of the example but more than a Cy Young winner you know yeah. what I mean and and the key here is there is a certain player type uh, here's here's an example I was trying to think of an NHL player who matches this the difference between Andreas Athanasiu Mm-hmm. Right, who is a guy who gets his like Andreas Athanasiu? I know he's played for Chicago. He's had some injury troubles, so he's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But this is a guy who scored thirty goals in the NHL. He's had fifty-four point seasons, um, multiple twenty-goal seasons. Have been on pace for twenty-five per eighty. Like his career scoring rates suggest that he's like a twenty-five goal true talent guy. But because he's like a somewhat limited rush scorer. He gets his. His teams don't necessarily score more when he's on the ice than yep. they would otherwise. And that's an important distinction, right? 
if the Canucks get an Andreas Athanasiu quality player out of Lakaramaki, especially for three years on an ELC over the next little bit, that's going to be massive, right? There's no sniffing at that. But to be more than that, like middle six offensive spark plug guy, to be a star level player, I still think there's going to be some work rounding out his offensive game when he arrives in Abbotsford. Canucks remain very eager to bring him over. I think he's going to play American League hockey as soon as uh, his SHL season ends. Uh, you know, I, I think they're. I think the club's really excited about bringing both him and Elias Pettersson, the defenseman, over. Uh, I think they'll be in Abbotsford for that playoff run. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what work the club does in trying to sort of flesh out his offensive game. There's no question, though, this guy's got a nose for the net, a, a high end, like an elite shot, and absolutely no fear about using it. Uh, if we're talking Cy Young Award winners and we're also looking for uh, Canucks tie-ins, how about Michael Grabner? Right. 175 career goals, 101 career assists well, for Michael Grabner, and, and Grabner, including a 25-6 and six season. Grabner's a perfect example, too, because it took him a long time to mature mm -hmm. in the league, right? That's a major reason why the Canucks deemed him to be dispensable when they did. I mean, put it this way, it's not like a coincidence that as the club got serious about their Stanley Cup chances in the summer of 2010, they moved on from, like, Grabner and Shane O'Brien and stuff, right? Like, they wanted more serious personalities, to help elevate that team. Krabner, of course, gets waived. Mm -hmm. Gets picked up, scores 34 goals. And in particular, as Grabner matured, he figured out one area of the game in particular to, to become an absolute ace, which was killing penalties. Like, drafted to be this offensive spark plug, he went to the Calder Cup final uh, on, on this loaded Manitoba Moose team. It was like Hodgson, Grabner, top line with Corey Schneider and Nett. And every time Hodgson and Grabner were on the ice together, the ice tilted massively in Manitoba's favor, right? But Grabner was supposed to be this, like, high-end offensive guy and instead sort of became this, like, again, spark plug depth goal scorer who was an elite power penalty killer. You know, like, that's, that's sort of the path you have to take. And that's how you get to 640 career games, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, you hope that a player type like LeCaramacchi can take an Owen Tippett type route to being just this like rush game breaker for the Vancouver Canucks but you know I, I do think it's worth noting that as you move up various levels right your your path to actually sticking and being successful in the NHL might be different than you imagine it at the yeah, moment you got to learn those other things right you got to find those other things that keep you in the lineup unless that shot just plays like if that shot just plays then that's one thing. Well, it looks like bare minimum, and I, there's a power play weapon there, right? If oh, you yeah. if you can shoot it like that, it's like you're going to have a chance to figure out figure uh, figure in on the power play, and that's one special team taken care of. As we talk about what roles can you find, what roles you can, can you develop to to stand in the lineup, like that's one right there. Then it, that's a place to at least build off of as you try to figure out the other parts of the game. Well, it, it is, but if you your playmaking is only at a certain level, you know, and and if you're I mean, he's a righty. That's the, the one edge that he has is he's a righty. So maybe that helps him get in the lineup uh, on the power play, even if, you know, uh, a, a sort of shot antidote to what Elias Pettersson does on the other side. So anyway, you're right. The power play will help him get minutes. I, I do think he's going to spend some time in Abbotsford. And oh, yeah. He, and, and to be that top line player to really deliver on this potential, I do still think you're going to want to see more of a dual threat option. Uh, but man, that skill set is sick. And he has popped in a major way after 
you know, a real outlier second season was waylaid by all manner of injuries. Yeah, it was tough and uh, great to see him. And uh, I'm I am enjoying the now daily sick Jonathan LeCaramacchi highlights that we're getting from his games in Sweden. All right, we're going to take a little bit of an earlier break than normal here. Uh, we have some Rick Tockett audio to play on the other side. It is, of course, a Canucks game day. They're taking on the LA Kings tonight at Rogers Arena, so we can dive into that a little bit more as well. And uh, we also have a chance to dive back into the inbox. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And uh, digest the reports about Elias Patterson and the Canucks talking contract. Your reaction, hearing that uh, they're making progress, according to Frank Saravelli, on a potential eight-year deal. Send it in, 650-650. We'll be back for the final segment here on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance on a Canucks game day live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. By the way, in our previous segment, we were talking to Silly Pod Colson with Daniel G. That was part of our Abbey Farm Report, a presentation of David L. Young of Dexter Realty. Uh, here, there, everywhere. Visit homes by David L. Young.com. Join Cobb's Bread on March 2nd for Donation Day. Get it? Donation, where $2 from every six pack of hot cross buns sold is donated to a local charity in your community. Our target is to donate over $500,000 to over 100 charities across Canada. Hot cross buns at Cobb's come in three flavors, traditional fruit, apple cinnamon, and cranberry orange. Cobb's break bread bakes fresh in-house all day, every day. And when the doors close, all leftover baked goods are donated to local charities. The next morning, they start fresh. Again, that's donation day on March 2nd, Friday this week. $2 for every six-pack of hot cross buns sold uh, goes to a local charity in our community. Get a review? You just finished one? Yeah, this is good. All right. There you go. <laughs> Drancer just polished one off, and he can he can vouch for it. Speaking them. for donation. Yes. Which truly is, feels like a, a, a pointed personal moniker. <laughs> Very good. Uh, all right. Uh, let's hear from... Okay, you got something? Uh, I, I just want, I want to talk about a certain Connect centerman. Is it Elias Patterson? It's not. Oh wow! All right, it's JT Miller. I want to talk about okay. JT. We we had a. I thought we had a pretty good segment talking about Miller Patterson. Yep. Yesterday, I think my don't get so twisted that you start to hate everything Elias Patterson does take has aged really well. Because <laughs> you might be you might be watching him for a while. Nailed it. Yeah. Um. So Miller's on an unholy tear. Since the All-Star break. We all know this. By the way, hold on, hold on. I have to do our our, our partners at Cobbs. I said it, March 2nd was Friday. Uh, March 2nd is Saturday. That's okay. Sorry. That's so okay, man. I just it's had to... Leap year. The leap year screwed me up. Yeah. It's, it's March 2nd, which is Saturday. And is this is why you'll day. be a Pirates apprentice for the rest of your life. Yes. What? I don't know that reference. You're not a Gilbert and Sullivan no. guy? No, I'm not. Wow. Even though you are the very model of a yes, modern that's me. major podcast host. Um. Anyways, JT Miller. Let's Unholy move, let's, tear. Let's, let's move on from this. Yeah, he's playing amazing. Now, it's an interesting thing because 
it's the big goals, the big moments mm-hmm. that I, that I think are capturing people's attention here, right? Like when this team needs a goal right now, it's JT Miller who's getting it. And yet, when I think about this 12 games that he's played, the run of production, obviously good, don't get me wrong, but a little bit a little bit inflated by some ephem- ephemeral stuff, stuff that's unlikely to last. Mm-hmm. What I think we're losing, or what I, what I don't want to lose in this conversation, right, is that what's made Miller's last like run of games the 12 games since uh the all-star break so impressive so massively um beastly for vancouver's top centerman at the moment is not the the production it's part of it but it's the level that he's hit defensively at center right so he started the season great at center there was a bit of a lull in terms of his overall yep. two-wave game. And now it's back to being at a high level. It was also at a really high level once Rick Tockett took over in those 36 games down the stretch. So we're getting to a point here where we're going to approach like a full season, a full 82 games, in which Miller's been like um, a stud two-way center for 60 games and and sort of had like a 22-ish, like a short lull that, that I don't think we worry about too much. And we're getting to a point here where, man – Man have, and certainly I had them, man have the, I'm not sure about this guy at center takes. He He's really put those to bed, like in a major way. And as his dominance in the circle, the, the way that he's closing games when the Canucks lead, um, as that stuff piles up and as he hits this level, and, and even, even in contrast with earlier in the season, because Vancouver's top six wasn't reliably dri- driving play, even though his defensive game looked improved, this month, his defensive game's been at the highest level that it's been. Like, his ability to dictate play has been at the highest level that it's been in a long, long time. And it's been less dependent of late on the minutes that he's spending right. with Quinn Hughes. And I think it's really telling to the point about his defense that, and I know you brought this up after the Pittsburgh game, that he was in the matchup role against Sidney Crosby. He was taking all those big draws, it, it, despite the presence of Elias Lindholm in the lineup. Because say whatever you want about Lindholm's offensive spark that he has not really brought to the team, Tockett has raved about his defense, mm. right? And so I think the fact, I don't, like I think you can read it as maybe a little disappointment or uncertainty with Lindholm, but I think you also have to read it as, no, Tockett values Lindholm's defense a lot, and he's still choosing Miller as the matchup guy over it. Yeah, I mean, if Lindholm doesn't start to draw more of those assignments and earn easier sledding for JT Miller, I, I do think, as the sample expands, we're going to start to talk about Lindholm in a different way than I think we should be prepared to yet. I still think some grace period is called for after the acquisition. But yeah, I mean, I don't want to see him logging the eighth most minutes among Canucks forwards on a regular basis. No. That that would be a problem. No, but my point pay. is I think that was that happened because JT Miller has given talk at that confidence. Sorry, sorry. To defense. be clear, I get it. I'm just not willing to accept your positive spin. <laughs> <laughs> positive as it relates to JT Miller, anyways. For for sure. I mean, you know, the the I, I still think we need to understand like with all Vancouver players. The, the test really is how they do in the non-Hughes minutes at this mm. point. But, man, Miller has been so good and and so good in, in this specific area, right? Because 
the goals are what's going to capture the attention or what's going to get you know uh, tongues flapping around this city but the it's the reliability it's that two-way game that's spiked that's like more likely to be sticky and and more meaningful than you know 40 percent conversion rate on on goals scored right like yeah. that's that's the stuff that you can't count on but if miller can play defense like this can help a, a line drive like this i think Suter, by the way is a big part of this too like i do think pew Suter's brought stability to that line in, in a way that that line hasn't necessarily had consistently all year right with hoaglander and different people moving in it like i think Suter's found a home there mm-hmm. and i think that line's been at their best Honestly, all season over the course of the past two months since he joined. Well, and I think with Miller doing what he's doing as a center, and as you said, you know, from a two-way perspective, not just the the spike in goal scoring right now, but from a two-way play driving perspective, and, you know, that's not doing it with the lotto line, right? Yeah, he still has Brock Besser, one of the team's best forwards, on his wing, but the other guy is Pew Suter. You can see how if Pedersen gets back to that level, right gets back to his normal level of of extremely effective play driving then and you have Lindholm as your third line center like that's a really scary matchup down the middle for a lot of teams in the playoffs like that's the key for me is that with Miller doing that not needing to be sheltered right not needing oh yeah he's a center but we only play him in certain matchups you have three centers you can potentially really rely on and trust in a playoff matchup, which is a huge weapon. A theory that'll be tested tonight, given the King's depth down the yep. middle. And by the way, before I'm, again, willing to like hammer the table and be like, damn right, Jamie, I need Lindholm to at least come out even in a matchup sure. with Connor Garland on it. Like, you've got an unbelievable play driver on your wing. We, we can't see another repeat of like Canucks outshot zero to eight in your minutes. Um, I really that to me, I really want to see a Lindholm bounce back tonight. I was a little disturbed. He played well against Boston, though. He did, but I was a little disturbed by that performance against. But I'm I'm serious. Like it was one of what that left me shaking my Shook head a little you. bit. It did. It did. Because I'm a I'm, you know, I'm not a I'm not. I wasn't pounding the table for Lindholm as like a dynamic two way driver or anything. But I, I've been a fan and an admirer of his game, and I think he's looked super intelligent. You're right to call it the Boston game. Like he had some excellent excellent. Uh, shifts in that game uh the pew suitor thing really quickly all right before we move on because I, I know you're That's eager right. talking, to play talking audio boy i don't care <laughs> we got we got 17 minutes left of the show whatever uh, pew suitor with jt miller this season okay we're up to 160 minutes so mm-hmm. not a huge sample canucks are plus 11 it's pretty good 14 goals for three against in 160 minutes that's incredible. And it's across the board. And it's across the board. Like, with Pew Suter on the ice with JT Miller, the Canucks have outchanced their opponents 103 to 49, according to Natural Stat Trick. That, That's a monster number. That is a different... That is a... Look, it's only 160 minutes. We'll see what the next 160 minutes look like. But when they're performing at that level, they're going to get another 160 minutes. I can tell you that much. If the Canucks have a line carrying play like that, then a lot of those concerns from earlier in the year, will this be sustainable with a top six that doesn't drive play? Is this lineup too dependent on on what we're seeing from the bottom six? It All of those questions melt away immediately if this line can keep up even yeah. 80% of that level of play. Uh, all right, now... I mean, you know I always have time for the Pew Suter love here on the show, so I'm glad we got that in. But now let's hear from uh, Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to the media earlier today. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, there's a 
basketball. We haven't faced a, a few teams in our division. Uh, yeah, it is strange, you know, and um, good hockey team. It's going to be a tough game for us. And I think four games over the next five weeks yeah. or so against this team. What does that do as you kind of wrap up for the playoffs here? Well, it puts you in playoff mode. It, uh, in, you know, um, there's eight points available. There's a lot of, you know, there's a, there's a lot a lot at stake when you play your division teams. That uh, whether you're chasing or you're trying to stay above, it doesn't really matter. It's, you know, they're four-point games. They're important games. Your goaltender tonight? Uh, Demer. Any other changes you expect? Uh, no. Same. Same. It's been about a month since the Lindholm trade happened. He's played in a few different spots. How do you feel about his fit and his play thus far with the team? Yeah, I think there's been uh, there's been some really good games. There's some games where he's trying to feel his way out, um, you know. So um, I like where he's at. I like the th- the centerman position that we have right now, and we got to give it some time. You know, he's just it's only been a month, you know. Um, and I think there's some some stuff that uh, he's really helped us with, and I think there's something that he wants to get better at. So um, that's why we made the trade earlier, so to give him some time to work. I want to ask you about the turnovers. That's been a big sticking yeah. point for you from that last game. Given your team has been much cleaner in that regard, were you surprised it came back, or does that just happen in a season? I, I think it's a little surprising thing, yeah, because I think we take pride on that. I think we, we've gotten a little – I think I told you guys yesterday, we're getting a little bit looser, and I think when you're loose, you, give, you, you, you throw pucks in the middle. You, you try for plays that you usually don't. And it's coming from guys usually that have been pretty good, so that's uh, something that we got to just – we had just got to clean it up. You know that and the penalties. If you if you if you if you're always if you're leading the if both teams are playing and you're leading the turnovers and you're you're taking more penalties than the other team, the margin of error gets slimmer. So it's to me it's math. Like we we got to get better at those two categories and get back into the way we were playing. You know the first half of the year. I know you're a pretty big fan of what Juleson's done the last few weeks. Um, You've got Hughes with him tonight. Where where are you with with Noah's game right now, especially in his ability to handle the forecheck and, and get rid of the puck? Well, I think when you talk about playing to your ability and playing simple, that he's the guy, right? You know, he blocks shots. He's a, he's one of our better penalty killers. Uh, you tell him to be in a certain spot. Nine times out of ten, he's going to be there. He's really, uh, I think, since working with with us and especially Footy and Gonch. He's one of those guys that really listens, and if you watch his play, it's gotten better. You know, if he, you know, he plays what he plays about 16 minutes. I mean, he's a solid, he's a solid player for it. You know, very rarely his fingerprints are over the chances against. You know, he obviously he has his hiccups like any any player, but I think for me, he's a very reliable guy for us. Uh, last one for me was just uh, Demko. He's playing again tonight. Yeah. Um, you've been asked a bit about deployment and how many games he's yeah. going to wind up playing and potential fatigue. Like the schedule sets up for you to play him a lot. Right. So how do you play him less and you know not get tempted? Yeah. Well, he's obviously Casey's going to get. He's going to play here in the next couple of games for sure. And then yesterday, if you watch, we had the the spare goalie, the call up goalie, whatever the, the, the what do you call it? the e bug goalie, whatever they call it. Uh, we had him up. And Denver didn't practice. He, he went out with Clark early, so that's how you keep the miles off a of goalie too. Is have uh, let him not practice as hard and, and do his kind of his technical work with Clarky. It's worked in the past, but yeah, no, we we got to very be conscious of how how we use him for sure. Rick, where have you seen the biggest growth in your hockey clean, hockey club from last year to this year? And are there any individuals that are maybe exceeding expectations? Well, I mean, there's a lot of guys. I mean, you know, if you look at Garland, Dakota, you know, Teddy, Teddy Booger's had a good year in a sense. All, all those type of guys have, 
you know, we've got a lot of guys that have 10 goals or more. So there's a lot of depth. For the other first question, I, I think for us is uh, not – lately it's been a little bit, but uh, it hasn't been what we want, but not duplicating mistakes. You know, if a guy makes a mistake, we'd hang tough. You know, I think for the most part we've been really consistent with that. And I think the pride without the puck, uh, most of the year have been – guys have really been, you know, good defensively, good with – and, and be conscious of it. It's well, those two now saying that those two have slipped a little bit, those two categories. But for them, I got to be, you know, for the most part, pretty proud of the team, how they have done consistently in those categories. We saw Susie on the ice this yeah. morning, said he was at the doctor yesterday making progress. Was there an update? So the doc will be today, and he's going to oh, okay. tell us about the pitchers and, and where he's okay. at. But yeah, he's he's fairly close, fairly close. And, and just preparing for a team like this, when you, you haven't faced them all year, you've only watched them from afar, is there something in the game tonight that you're looking for specifically to sort of judge how you guys are managing playing an opponent that you haven't seen before? Well, I've coached against the team for myself personally about five years with Arizona and then a little bit last year. Um, you know, there, you know, whether whether it's Todd was a coach right now or with um, the new coach now, I, I think the pedigree of that team is a very structured team. You know, you got – I'm a huge fan of Dowdy and, and Kopitar as leaders. Um, I think we're catching a break. I don't think Kepi's not playing that, I don't think, right? So we're catching a break. I think he's a hell of a player. But if you look at their overall structure of their game, um, you can't be antsy against that team. you got to be able to be if, – if it's a one nothing game or a 0-0 late in the second period, you got to be comfortable in your own skin because they are. You know, so I think that's really my message to the team is you got to play – a smart game against them. You start pressing, you start doing turnovers, you start taking penalties, then teams like that are really good. So I think we got to make sure that if it's zero zero after the second, we're okay. That's what we have to, that's the mentality. Rick, you've mentioned a few times that uh, your teams look tired or a lot of guys have looked tired. It is the dog days. You've had a busy schedule, let's face it. You've been through it as a player. What, what advice or, or what do you want to see from your guys? How do you battle through that? Because it I mean, if you don't have the energy, it's hard to play. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's easy for me to say, like, mental toughness and all that sort of stuff, which comes to play. Every team goes through it. Um, but take advantage of the rest. Like, you know, today they had the option of, you know, don't go on the ice. I think 90% of our guys didn't go on the ice. Maybe 50% will stay at home. They'd just come tonight. Um, we did that the other day against Boston. It worked. I thought we had a lot of energy. So that's my job to get these guys some energy. But it's also their job to understand that if you don't have it that night, you got to be, you got to play smart. You know, if you, you know, if your legs aren't there, then play a smarter game. Don't throw pucks away. You know, don't take stupid penalties. Just play a smart game. And I think sometimes we have to up that category when we're not, we're not feeling, you can still win games when you're tired. I don't think it's an excuse. Your schedule gets, is pretty good though, down the stretch. Well, yeah, I mean. A lot of rest, do you expect? You want to? You're definitely. It must be expecting to see that energy come back. Well, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think there's some teams that have to play 17 games in the month of March. I don't know how many we're playing, but we got nine home games at consecutive home. Can we take advantage of it? But there's other teams that got games in hand on it too. So it's a give and take. But we got to use our rest days or our practice very importantly this month. So take advantage of this schedule. Yeah, we have some hard games though. I and mean, we got LA a bunch. We got Winnipeg. We got Vegas. Colorado again. I mean, we got some tough games, but I think that's a good thing. I'd rather go through, you know, knowing that we have to go through some tough games here with, what, 20 games left in the season. I think that's a, that's a good thing for our team. We need it.
That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett uh, speaking about tonight's game and also looking ahead a little bit there before they play the Kings at Rogers Arena. And, yeah, they play L.A. tonight. They go on the road for three, but uh, as road trips go, I mean, it's Anaheim and L.A. with a day off in between, so that's nice. And then it's Vegas with, uh, you know, no back-to-backs in there. So a pretty manageable three-game road trip uh, that that keeps you uh, on this side of the continent. Then they don't play on the road again until April after that, right? They've got that nine-game homestand with extra days off sprinkled in there. And, I mean, that's fascinating from a lot of perspectives, right? As you heard Tockett speak about at the end there, hey, that gives us an opportunity to rest, gives us an opportunity to get on the practice ice. We really have to make the most of those opportunities. It's also fascinating from a goaltending usage perspective. And Tockett was asked about that as well because there's not going to be a lot of times. They only have one more back-to-back in April this year. So just one more back to back on the schedule. There's not going to be a lot of times where you think, man, we like this has to be a DeSmith game because Demko's worn out. The coaching staff is really going to have to aggressively look for opportunities to get DeSmith in to make sure they keep the Demko starts number down. Yeah. So Dem DeSmith's been an 844 save percentage goalie since the new year, right? Which seems Unfortunate, but here's the thing: like Woodley's data, which is the ClearSight Analytics data mm-hmm. tracking every shot from a goalie's perspective, will tell you this: all season, all season. So DeSmith's entire sample of games this season, according to the ClearSight uh, data, DeSmith has allowed two total goals against on shots that weren't high danger. So, so 17 games played, 16 starts. That's what you want from your backup. Like, two goals all year that you'd be like, oh, man, we'd love to have that one back. That's it. You can't ask for more than that. You know, like, this guy's played well enough to get into games. And and what's sort of odd to me is the Canucks were so disciplined about using DeSmith heavily in tough spots earlier in the year. Like, remember he got the Edmonton start in game two of the season? Yep. Remember he got the Florida start coming off those back-to-back losses in there Philadelphia and Tampa? There were a couple of... Did he did he start against the Rangers in that? No, that was Demko. But there was, was a Demko. couple other, like, Saturday night games at Rogers Arena that DeSmith started. Yeah. And we were joking. Remember, Demko gets weekends off. Like, they gave, oh, yeah. like, you know, high-profile games on, on hockey night on the, uh, at home. And DeSmith was getting those starts. Well, I got the start in Ottawa and Montreal on that road trip. Like... Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, sorry, it was the Rangers. He did play against the Rangers. In October, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that's like, oh, Demko versus just Sturkin Saturday night, and they gave it to the Yeah, Smith. you're right, that's a marquee spot. So they were so disciplined early in the year about spotting DeSmith in some of these games. And, it, you know, I don't know, the practice thing, you know, we'll give him practices off instead of games. I don't know how much I buy it, like... At the end of the day, every year we look in the playoffs and we're like, man, I really thought that team had an edge in that series. And then in you that. look at the goalies' games played and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, right, one guy's a lot fresher than the other. And uh, Dan Riccio was breaking it down, some of the numbers on Twitter. I'll, I'll crib off Riccio's work since they're cribbing off the whiteboard now uh, on Canucks Central. So Demko will get his 46th start tonight, uh, 20 games for the Canucks after this. So if you want to keep him to 60 or less, that means you need to find six starts for Casey DeSmith in those final 20 games, which is a fairly significant rate. And that's just to get to 60. 
I think if you had said at the beginning of the year, we would have said, like, ideally, you'd love to be at 55. That's not going to happen. There's always a bit of creep in that regard. But, you know, they have a couple games against Anaheim left. They have a couple games against Arizona, one is one of which is on the back, uh, the back half of a back-to-back. So those look like potential likely spots for Casey DeSmith. But beyond that, yeah, you're going to have to, you know – is it uh, the Capitals on a Saturday at home against the is against the Canucks? Is it uh, the Habs on a Thursday? Right, you're going to have to not just kind of roll with the punches and oh Demko's a little tired. We'll get to Smith in. You're going to have to go out of your way to find those spots to get to, to Smith in here. I I just can't shake like Aiden Hill has had some injuries, but he's played 24 games. You know, like, mm-hmm. they're doing it again. The, the Vegas sleeping giant model, right? Like, Georgiev's played 48, Soros 47, Demko 45, 46 tonight. 42 for Stuart Skinner, 42 for Connor Hellebuck, who I think is... I don't think we're talking enough, actually, about how Hellebuck... How good Hellebuck has been. Well, because it's not just good, it's historic, mm. right? I mean, put it this way, I'll read you goalie save percentages among players who've played 40 games or more okay Bennington 909 Sorokin 5 uh, 910 Skinner 904 Bobrovsky 916 Demko 917 Saros 905 Georgiev 900 this reflects the fact that save percentage is dropping yep pretty much across the NHL Connor Hellebuck 925 like he's head and shoulders better than everybody else and nine that's like 925 that was impressive 10 years ago Mm -hmm. now with where save percentages are that's like what a 935 plus would have been 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Like 925 was elite already then. Now that's otherworldly, given what, what what's happening around the league. One to, and to give you context, 35 goaltenders in the NHL have played more than 25, have started more than 25 games. Two are above 920. Mm-hmm. Swayman is the only other one who, you know, he's played 10 fewer games, and it's at exactly 920. Hellebuck's at 925. Like this is degrees better than everybody else that Hellebuck's hit absolutely he's sick yeah so sick and I actually was thinking about this yesterday because I was um noticing just a crop up of Matthew's MVP debate again he should be a contender I mean this is the the best goal scorer of his generation having a signature season you've also got one of the great winners in hockey carrying a team that is shallower than it's been in recent years in Colorado Mm -hmm. to contender level on an every night basis You've also got literally the best hockey-playing human on the planet pacing for 136 points. And by the way, like I, 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 McDavid could absolutely hit 150. Yep. <laughs> He's on a 164-point pace since, like, our, our Jay Fresh had it on his Twitter feed yeah. since, like, early December or something. It's Insane. outrageous. Insane. And and didn't went 10 games without scoring a goal. Yeah. Sure. You've got Kucherov already at 100 points with 22 games remaining on his schedule. Uh, willing a team with no business otherwise making the playoffs. Like, have you gone and looked at the names of defensemen that Tampa Bay has played this year? No, I haven't. Oh, my God. Like, do it. Do it and try to, like, they've played 14 different defensemen, and I promise you, oof, and I promise you, you haven't heard of six of them. Like, and and that's not a knock. That's all right. No, no, no. No, 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 I know, I know. Like, they have a defenseman named Crozier? Sure, Sure. right? I mean, I think I went to university with that guy. Uh, Honestly, like, And then you've got Hughes. And I think Hughes needs to be considered too. Like, this is 
wild stuff. He completely alters the game every time he's on the ice. This is the most exciting. Like I don't I don't know that it's that difficult an assignment to pick an MVP from that group. Like for me, McKinnon should be leading. Mm-hmm. But it's just the most exciting group. Like a, a kaleidoscope of just exceptional, in some cases historic performances from across the league. It's as like busy and fun an MVP class, uh, potential MVP class as I can remember, and I think says a lot about where the product is right now. Uh, no doubt about it. We will wrap it up there. Game day today for the Canucks. They take on the LA Kings for the first time this year. Should be a good one. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we'll be back for a Friday edition of the show tomorrow to break it all down. Enjoy the game. Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650.